Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Price drop, time to shop. Get to a Nordstrom Rack store today for first dibs on new markdowns. Now score even more, up to 70% off brands everyone loves at Nordstrom Rack. Denim, dresses, sneakers, tops, and more. Plus, get genius deals on jackets, sweaters, and boots for the whole family. Shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and save up to 70% with new markdowns. But hurry, deals this great won't last. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. I cannot believe what happened this past week and a half. It kind of blew my mind, shocked me. It was, I don't want to say exhilarating, it was actually pretty stressful to have I would say a million people, you know, shouting all sorts of things in the social, the social media echo chamber. And I want to dive a little more deeply into the article that I initially wrote, which was New York City is dead forever. Here's why. You know, I, when I, when I wrote that, again, I didn't expect that. Seinfeld would respond, Mark Cuban would respond, uh, Mayor de Blasio would address it, Governor Cuomo would address it, every news station, every radio station. And I found myself that I was in this position that I didn't want to be in, which was I was somehow, even though I wanted to express my own thoughts and feelings as someone born in New York, I, 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 lived the past 26 years in New York. I was raised all around the New York City area. I wanted to be able to express what I thought and what I still think are some problems with New York. And that was it. I didn't expect that. I, I Normally I hit publish and I have one rule when I publish, which is that I don't hit publish on anything unless I'm afraid of what people will think of me. But I've never had an article like this where I became afraid of what 10 million people would think of me. And I want to explore why I wrote the article, why I wrote the things I did, why it might have gone viral or struck such a chord with so many people from so many different backgrounds and places and so on. You know, and I want to address some of the concerns and then maybe focus on solutions. And I'll tell you, the thing that made me scared when I published this article was that normally when I write an article, I have always, I might present a problem and I might tell a story, like I tell my own story, and then I present solutions. I give kind of a ray of hope and optimism. And the thing that made me scared the moment I hit publish was that I realized I was not providing solutions because this is a very difficult situation what not only New York City's in, but the country's in, the world's in. It's a very unique and difficult situation. 
you know, a lot of people have left New York and I was trying to understand the reasons why uh, I, you know, in March, uh, when the lockdown started, I realized that many people I knew and other people had left the city. We debated it, but we decided to stay. So March, April, May, June, we were staying in the city. And then, you know, if you remember, the pandemic went through all these different stages. There was like the Tiger King stage. And then there was the peak in mid-April, which I had discussed in my podcast all the way back in March. And then we were wondering when the lockdowns would lift, how dangerous the economic lockdowns would be in terms of the casualties on the economy, even the casualties in terms of would there be deaths as a result of the economic lockdown. And so I was looking at these things. I was researching these things. I was having economists on my podcast, doctors on my podcast, politicians, economists, federal reserve officials, all sorts of people on my podcast, just to kind of explore these different issues. And then the protest started, my wife and I and my kids participated. And I have, I have five kids in the city. I have several kids in school in the city. I own a business in the city, uh, Stand Up New York. It's a comedy club. And, you know, I mentioned in the article that I was heading to Florida for a little bit. That wasn't a permanent thing. You know, I do have children who are going to school now in the city, but I was confused and concerned and still am about all the things happening in the city. And so I started exploring them and I listed the reasons that the, the issues that concern me. And I also pointed out one thing that I hadn't read anywhere else. And I'll get to that in a second. But first I wanna address why the title, New York City is dead forever, here's why. And right away, this one prominent venture capitalist wrote me a really angry email. Many people do not like your title. And I get it. And then another reaction I noticed when I, I posted this on LinkedIn, I, I saw people sharing it, not only on LinkedIn, but on Facebook. And then I saw, saw quite a few people were sharing it. So I checked different friends that were sharing it. And the main comments that they were getting was, oh, this is really sad because I share in the article my own history with New York. I was born in New York. I came, you know, after school, after college and stuff, I came to New York City with nothing in the bank. And, you know, I went broke repeatedly. Anybody who knows my writing knows I went broke repeatedly. And always New York was this, this magical kingdom I could return to, not, not because, you know, I was an opportunist and I was gonna just grab opportunity and then leave. I was in New York, I've owned places in New York. Uh, I built up, I went broke, I built up, I went broke. 9-11, I was living about three or four blocks from ground zero. I was at the World Trade Center earlier that morning and I was walking home, the plane went overhead. I, I understand, I was there as downtown built up again out of literally rubble. 2008, when the financial crisis happened, I had the misfortune of living actually on the corner of Wall Street and Broad, right across from the New York Stock Exchange. Everybody was depressed all day long, every day. And not just depressed, people were worried about their livelihoods. And after 9-11, I was worried about my livelihood. After 2008, I saw everybody worried about their livelihoods. Nobody knew even if the country was gonna survive, let alone the city. And I think a lot of those concerns 
are even escalated now. And I'll admit, if I saw an article in, in 9-11, right before 9-11 happened, I had my apartment up for sale because I was going broke and I was scared to death. If someone had written an article right then, right after 9-11, hey buddy, New York City is, is dead forever, ha ha, here's why, I probably would have been really upset. I don't know if I would have been angry or depressed. I tend to get more depressed than angry, but I could have been both. And so I get it. And I think I underestimated, I, I, I agree with everything I wrote. There are real problems. And it's not just me saying this. I only wrote, and I'll get to the problems in a second, but we're also going to get to solutions. I understand why people are upset when they saw the problems and they didn't see me address solutions. The problems all came from people I had spoken to, experts I had spoken to, sources that I referenced, data that I had observed. The one new thing I brought up, which I didn't see anyone bring up, was that there was the potential for remote work, i.e. the empty office buildings in Midtown to last longer than people think. A lot of people think, and a lot of people were telling me all along, well, when we finally get X, then New York City will be back to normal. When we finally get a vaccine, when we finally get, or when, when coronavirus just disappears, when we finally get new leadership, whether it's mayor, governor, president, whatever, when X happens, everything's gonna be back to normal or New York City will be back stronger than ever. And I believed that. And when I wrote this article and still now, I don't know when it's going to be back stronger than ever. That's why a lot of things that all of us love about New York are missing right now, whether it's where you can work, whether it's where you can eat, whether it's the activities you're al even allowed to do, whether for if you're a New York City employee, whether it's the, the, the lack of revenues that are currently happening right now. I mean, I just read this morning how the MTA, which the, the transit authority, which runs all our, you know, subways, buses, whatever, the transit authority is needs a $12 billion bailout. I read that today. That's scary. It scares me. And I get it that people were nervous when I bring up all these problems and I have a very, and I'm sourcing everything. And then I even say the remote might never end and that makes and New York City revenues are going to go down, deficits are going to go up. Uh, I mean, you know, and then I didn't provide solutions. So why did I say dead? Why I say forever? Because for me, many of the things that I personally enjoy and many other people enjoy about New York, including the ability to go there broke and with nothing and rise up from nothing and get work and get and start you know, making art or writing or starting businesses, a lot of these opportunities, you know, acting on Broadway or, or, you know, engaging with subcultures that don't exist anywhere else except New York. That's why New York's so amazing. That's why New York City was so amazing to me from when I was a kid and from when I got there as an adult, I spent my entire adult life there, is all the amazing subcultures that I've been able to participate in that don't exist anywhere else in the U.S., we all were affected, including me, because we have this relationship with the city that is love-hate, but a lot more love than hate. And so 
maybe forever means forever. Maybe forever means 20 years, which seems to me like forever. Maybe forever seems like 10 years. But New York City right now has an 18% unemployment rate. For some people, forever might just be two months. How are they going to survive the next two months? You know, one in four New Yorkers have not paid their rent since March, and they're going to owe that rent, or they're going to get evicted. So forever might just mean two months for them. They need New York City to come back now. Is it dead? Is it not dead? There's so much uncertainty. That was very scary. So again, uh, my family and I, we, we were at the protests. And then we also saw when the protests after curfews, sometimes we'd see video footage of people trying to break into our building, you know, after the curfews. That's neither here nor there. But I, with five kids, I decided, okay, towards the end of June, I was going to spend a little bit of time away. Again, though, my entire life is based in New York. I won't address that again. Uh, for some reason, people were shouting on Twitter, oh, I don't need some guy from Iowa telling me about New York. Again, born in New York, whatever. But I do think that some dangerous things happened in the, the reaction to the article. And some of this was my fault. So I've already addressed the fact that I think I could have had a little bit more empathy towards people going through a very difficult time. I'm going to talk about solutions for all these things, but I understand why people got scared and maybe even angry. But also I noticed some other disturbing things. One is maybe people were in some cases a little too gleeful that I said New York City was going to be dead forever. I got positive responses too that were maybe a little too positive. And so I realized, you know, around the country, there's different ways that people think that I didn't take into account. I didn't, I didn't mean for this post to be a poster child for, hey, New York City's dead, let's dance on the grave. I want New York City to get better. The other reactions I didn't expect was people like, you know, Jerry Seinfeld wrote an op-ed. He, he, you know, mentions me uh, sort of quite a bit in the op-ed, but he also mentions some, some questions and some, some issues which I'm going to address. He, he raises some good points, and I don't, wanna, I don't wanna only look at, you know, I kind of wrote my article from a very logical, like here are the facts sort of point, and here's my story. And I get it, like Jerry Seinfeld and a lot of other people looked at it from a very emotional point of view, which I totally understand. So I wanna address that. And the other thing I didn't expect was people like Mark Cuban immediately responding. And I've known Mark Cuban for a long time, 20 years. And he's been on my podcast a bunch of times. Uh, so I didn't think anything of it. But then, you know, on top of Seinfeld, there was de Blasio held a press conference about it. And Governor Cuomo sent out an email to, I don't know, a million people about it. And I was actually happy about that. Not because like, oh, Governor Cuomo is reading my article, but because for the first time in like six months, I saw de Blasio and Cuomo actually agree on something, which is that they kind of hated me. And so, fine. I don't take, I don't, that was not my intent with the article. I didn't think really anybody would read it. I, again, I think it probably went viral because I brought up a lot of the issues and I brought up some new twists on remote work, but I'm happy if it 
makes some politicians and leaders agree that, hey, we're all here to bring back New York. And, you know, they were saying New York always comes back stronger than ever. You know, Jerry Seinfeld mentioned, and a lot of people mentioned, and I believe, I've seen it, I've been there, the, the grit of growing up around New York City, living in New York City during 9-11, living there during 2008, being in and out of the city during the 70s. Uh, I get it, the, the grit. And, you know, there's also the fact that what does it mean for a city to be dead? It's not like New York City is going to go underwater or it's not like New York City, everybody's going to get vaporized. I mean, you look at London, Berlin, Rome, all of these great cities, some maybe as great as New York, but not really. All of these cities have been through wars, bombings, and they still exist. They come back. And so the question is, for me, forever feels like a bigger amount of time than I want to deal with. And for some people, that might be months if they're facing eviction or facing unemployment. For some people, that might be years. For some people, that might be decades. I don't know. And again, there's things that are fractured in New York. And simply de Blasio saying, you know, like de Blasio held this press conference two days ago where he like, instead of addressing the severe issues and economic difficulties, you know, we already know thousands of restaurants are out of business already. They're out of business and more are coming. We already know office buildings are largely empty. Now, a lot of people were commenting and I've had a chance to read a lot of the comments and, and, and think about them. A lot of people were commenting, oh, who cares about Midtown? New York City is not Midtown. And I agree with that. Brooklyn, Bronx, Queens, the rest of Manhattan, Staten Island, they're definitely not Midtown. But Midtown is the largest business center of a city in the United States, if not the entire world. So if nobody is working in Midtown, is that a problem or is that not a problem? And I also raised the point about Broadway. By the way, I don't really go to shows on Broadway. I haven't been to a show on Broadway since I took my kids to the Lion King and I fell asleep halfway through. Not that it's a bad show. Don't trash me about The Lion King. But I'm not really into theater. That said, I know tons of people who are not only actors and actresses who have worked all their lives, but the restaurants around Broadway and Midtown, the transit system that sends tourists there, the hotels around there, there's tens of millions of dollars of tourism revenue that are lost when Broadway's lost. There are people who devote their lives to theater uh, who are doing nothing because Broadway's closed. There are restaurants that have no customers because, and stores that have no customers because Broadway, that whole area around, you know, Broadway between 42nd and 57th Street, it's basically just closed for business and it's not gonna be open for, you know, January, February, March. We have no clue. And part of the problem has been for me is, yes, I can handle uncertainty. We all can. New Yorkers are known for handling uncertainty. And we did a great job in 9-11, in 2008. I did notice, though, that, you know, and the, many newspapers have reported on this, over 400,000 people left New York basically in March. And I 
talked about it with my family. We decided to stay and help wherever we could. That's not so important, but we stayed. And I saw what was going on and I was able to think about it and think about what is the future here and how can we help? And, you know, so I bring up all these problems. Again, restaurants closed, small businesses closed, um, which means employees uh, go unemployed, uh, people can't pay their rent. Uh, once the eviction uh, moratorium is over, what are people going to do? How are these one in four people who haven't paid rent since March, how are they going to pay? Are the 400,000 people who left, are they going to come back? Are the 13,000 vacancies, I mentioned there's, CNBC mentioned about a week or so ago, there's 13,117 vacancies. I happen to know that number is wrong. The number is actually higher because many buildings don't report all their vacancies because they don't want people to think that everybody's abandoned ship on their buildings. Like these, the people who own these buildings are in danger of going bankrupt, like, like many people are in the city. Now, why is Midtown an issue? Why is the remote work an issue? You know, in 2008, everybody came back. In 9-11, everybody came back. I stayed, I came back. Uh, now, there's one thing that's different. So in 2008, the average bandwidth that people had was about two and a half megabits per second. I'm uploading this at about 40 or 50 megabits per second. We can all now work remote. And I appreciate it. A lot of people have told me not everyone likes to work remote. I agree. Human contact's important. People love to exchange ideas face to face. People love to see other people. People love to go out. People love to go out to bars and restaurants and they love to go and see the people that they work with. Some of the people love that. So, and Jerry Seinfeld brought up this problem and, and in his op-ed about my article, he said that everybody hates remote. The problem is, I wish that were true, but it's not true. So IBM, many companies have done studies on this, but I'll mention one study. IBM did a study, uh, they interviewed about 20,000 people and a little more than half actually loved being remote and not having to go into the office. The other thing that people have researched is are companies more productive or not? And the answer is yes, in general, most companies in most industries are more productive when people are working remote. And not only that, they save on costs. So JP Morgan announced today that they're gonna have more and more of their workforce uh, around not just New York City, but everywhere go remote because it saves on computers, desks, uh, backup computers, I don't know, all, all sorts of costs and savings, plus office space. So what happens when people stay remote, let's say some companies, some percentage of companies that we don't expect, 10%, 20%, 80%, we're still learning, but there's gonna be some percentage of companies that are simply not gonna fully come back to work. They're afraid of the liabilities of the coronavirus, the productivity is fine, they realize they can cut costs by eliminating floors and buildings. So what happens if people don't come back to work? Well, they move to other places. People don't wanna just move right outside of New York when they never have to come into New York. Some people are moving and we've seen it. We, there's data all over the place written by every newspaper. People are going to Phoenix, Arizona, Philadelphia, Dallas, Austin, Miami, Denver, Boulder. They're going all over the country. Again, 
not just a, a few people, but so far 400,000 people or more have at least temporarily left the city. And we don't know how many are coming back. Hopefully a lot of them will come back, but some of them won't. And so the important thing is not to just say, hey, you know, New York, it's got grit. It always comes back. We have to look at the problems. When, when Mayor de Blasio is doing a press conference, I listen to his press conferences and I'm hoping for him to say, everybody, here's my new plan for the subway system, for transportation. We're going to really improve the infrastructure. Here's my new plan on taxes. Here's my new plan on incentives. Here's my new plan on reopening restaurants and reopening Broadway and reopening the bars and how we're going to deal with uh, eviction relief. Here's my plan for all this. Oh, wait a second. That's a little too difficult for me. So maybe I'm just going to point out this one article that I really don't like and thank Jerry Seinfeld for saying New York City has grit. I get it. Like Mayor de Blasio wants to inspire people, but at some point you need to solve problems. And so one thing we know, we all know this, is that forever is bad. And the faster we react, just take it, look at the coronavirus as an example. The faster uh, countries like South Korea and Japan and Hong Kong reacted, the faster they got rid of the virus. The faster we as New Yorkers react to our problems, to the problems we face as a city, the faster we can get back to some kind of growth, some kind of, not, not normal. Nobody necessarily wants to go back to exactly normal where things were too expensive, but we could get back to some point where it's opportunity again. Not opportunity necessarily for wealth, although it could be. It could be for creativity, it could be for art, it could be for writing, it could be for theater, it could be for comedy. You know, we just wanna get back to where we could go outside. I mean, again, I pointed out how the 30% uh, of the restaurants could close. Well, since I wrote the article, Mayor de Blasio has, for some reason, and I don't mean to pick on him, but for some reason, he has said, we might not return to indoor dining until sometime in 2021. Now, it's not like I'm dying to go out to eat, but I've heard this statistic from many people, between 90 to 95% of the restaurants in New York City are gonna go out of business if they have to survive November and December without any customers. They're not gonna be able to have customers. So what does that mean? It means all the employees, hundreds of thousands of employees will will be unemployed who work at those restaurants. It means the owners will go bankrupt. But I should tell you, there are many more employees than there are owners of restaurants. Now, Mayor de Blasio said, oh, you know, the wealthy people could eat indoors um, instead of going out to eat. That's fine. I guess they could do that. But you still are affecting what makes New York City so great is that people could come here, people who are artists, who are experts at what they do, they could put their, their stake in the ground and, and they can make it here. If they can make it here, they can make it anywhere. That's New York City. And so if you kind of force people to, to just be an entire industry that is a big reason tourists come here, is a big reason people go out at night, if you force an entire industry like the restaurant industry to go out of business, that's disturbing to me. That, that is a problem that needs to be addressed by words other than grit. It needs to be addressed directly 
to Mayor de Blasio. I don't even know does if Governor Cuomo has control or say over that. But again, now that I realize my article has been read by these guys, that Jerry Seinfeld has read it, that millions of others have read it or thought about it or looked at it or heard about it, maybe it's time we can look at these problems and address them. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I I lived in over 100 or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period. And I loved it. I I became a really good guest of Airbnbs. And I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was, I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests? And having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away. And I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day that initial, when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee and I still to this day get messages every day. James Aldacher, would you like to apply to be VP of entertainment at NBC or whatever? So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter 
for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is, as you get older, there's some things you need. And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like I'd rather do anything than go to the doctor or the dentist or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use HIMS. HIMS, H-I-M-S, HIMS is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? Yes, I'm definitely going to use HIMS from now Not on. that you need it. You're, you're young and healthy. James, I'm 35. You, you're getting there. You might, you might need it. Who knows? But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the HIMS app track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash James. Could you imagine that there's a whole section just with my name on it? Hymns.com slash James. That's how I how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs hymns. That's hims.com slash James for your personalized treatment options. Hymns.com slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hymns.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. So what's the difficulty with all of this? Some people were saying to me, well, isn't it going to be great if rents go down and, you know, artists, young people move back into Manhattan and artists can move here and it'll be great, just like the 70s. First off, I was here in the 70s. It wasn't this like magic wonderland. Yes, there was a lot of art in New York City. There's still a lot of art in New York City. Don't put down Brooklyn, Queens, Bronx, Staten Island, where a lot of artists currently move and even Manhattan but you know, a lot of the boroughs now are much more active in culturally and in the art scene than they were in the 70s, even though the boroughs were great in the 70s as well. But in many other ways, New York City has improved, but also it's had its problems. But it's not like rents are gonna go down tomorrow. What has to happen for rents to go down, and this is what people haven't really been understanding, is that every landlord has to go bankrupt. They're not just going to lower rents to below their mortgage prices. Let's say you bought an apartment in the past 10 years, you're paying a pretty high mortgage is my assumption. I don't, I rent, but people who own apartments, they can't reduce the rent lower than mortgage for a lot of reasons. They don't want to have another eviction moratorium and then they're stuck getting rent less than they're paying in mortgage. That's one of the problems. There's like 10 problems. So you have to have a wave of bankruptcies that could, and litigation that could take decade or decades to get over before you really start seeing rents go down. 
when, when billionaires are tweeting and saying, oh, I'm gonna invest in New York City real estate, they're not talking about tomorrow. They're talking about a decade from now after the first wave of bankruptcies. They're talking about when, you know, when everybody is just miserable and, and driven out of New York so that there's more vacancies than can possibly imagine. And then finally, there's gonna be decent value. There isn't, these billionaires are not buying real estate or restaurants in New York City today. I can guarantee you. Now, maybe they should, but they're not. And I'll get to that in a second. Because again, you have to ask, what happens when all these problems I mentioned happen in New York City? What actually is happening? Well, New York City spends a lot of money. We have a subway system. We have people who collect garbage. We have teachers. We have police. We have firemen. We have emergency medical technicians. We have tens or hundreds of thousands of employees. So when the mayor says, you know, and he said this right around the time I wrote the article or right before the article, these, these things worry me that when he says he's going to have to lay off 22,000 EMTs, teachers, police, garbage collectors, MTA workers, 22,000, that's about 7% of New York City's workforce. Imagine firing the EMTs. These are the people who you told be on the front lines of the coronavirus every single day. You're good if you, if you do that. And then, oh, sorry, we, we ran out of money. I got to fire you. And what's he doing about it? What's, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying maybe he didn't know, maybe he didn't realize the lockdown was just going to be this long. Like maybe nobody knew, but this is an issue. It's not an issue that's going to be solved because of the romance and the history and the love we all have for New York City. This is an issue that has to be thought about because what do you do without EMTs? What do you do without a fire department? What do you do when the police department goes on strike? What do you do when there's no teachers for our children? And again, my kids go to school in the city. What do you do when the MTA is, not only are they firing employees, but they, they, they say they need a $12 billion bailout. Is that true? Or they say they're losing $200 million a week. I think they said, is that true? Like what's, what's going on? These are real issues we have to think about. And for that, I'm really grateful that whatever my title is, my article was noticed by people who could make decisions like de Blasio, Cuomo, maybe other officials, people who could really think about these issues. I mean, I really did not expect this article to get out the way it did. And just, I'm, a, I'm kind of horrified about it, actually. I mean, Monday morning, I wake up and Jerry Seinfeld, who's like a hero to me, is, is, writes an entire op-ed in the New York Times about my article. And at first I was, is this like a simulation that I'm living in? Like, how could this be even real? And, and yet it felt, things are so crazy. It almost felt like something that, okay, that, that's normal. That should happen. But it really shouldn't. That said, I want to address some of Seinfeld's issues. So one is, um, you know, I think I addressed the remote work thing. He said, people, nobody likes remote work. That's just not true. Every study shows that there's, some people don't like it. Some people do. Some industries are much more productive, some aren't. So there's gonna be some percentage of major taxpayers that feed all of the services in New York City. 
some percentage of those industries are just going to be remote forever and there's nothing we can do about it. And that's a problem that takes a long time to fix without proper thinking from our leadership about incentives. The other thing he mentioned, which is a really valuable point, and I think he's right about this, is that cities are really hard to die. And this is what I agree with him on this, and I'm, I'm glad he brought it up. People go to cities historically because they want to exchange ideas. No, no man is an island. I had a podcast once with a guy who started a really uh, great store business that helped a lot of people. He's employed hundreds of thousands of people. And I said, how, how does it feel to be a self-made you know, guy like you? And he said, no man is self-made. And it's really true because people get together, and this happens to me every day in the city, people get together and they exchange ideas and they exchange possibilities. Oh, we could do this show together. We could do this project together. We could work together. We could start a business together. We could have lunch together. We could be friends together. We could get married, whatever. Like you go to cities because that's where the more people there are, the more possible connections of ideas there are. There's exponential number of ideas that could connect. And there's an energy to that. And that's what Jerry Seinfeld said in his op-ed, that there's an energy to that. There's a vibrancy to that. And I agree with that. That's, the, that's an important reason for us to hope that New York City is not dead forever. But again, just having press conferences where, hey, New Yorkers could survive anything, that this is a very different situation than 9-11. This is a very different situation than the 1970s. This is a very different situation than 2008. And we're all kind of trying to figure it out. You know, in the beginning of the pandemic, I don't know if you remember, there were people fighting on the floor for the last roll of toilet paper at Trader Joe's. And people kind of revert to uh, almost like this childlike version of themselves where they don't want to necessarily face all the problems. But now, you know, I can see just the, not only the anger and the fear, but people really want to come together and make New York City work. And, and for whatever reason, you know, I don't know why this particular article went viral. Maybe I pointed out things in a, a slightly different way, although I also repeated things that a lot of other uh, media outlets have, have shared in the past. I also shared my own personal story with New York, which I don't need to fully go into. But let's think for a second about solutions. So one solution is how are we gonna, just in the short term, how are we gonna pay for these 22,000 people that the government is gonna lay off in a few days? Another problem is, what are we gonna do about evictions? Another problem is, how are we gonna make sure 95% of the restaurants don't go out of business? Another problem is, how can we have some incentives in place so maybe new companies can move in to the city? And, and, and so we don't so New York City doesn't lose these tax revenues that pay for hundreds of thousands of employees and pay for all the great services we enjoy as citizens of New York City. So, you know, de Blasio and Cuomo, they're trying to figure out if New York City can borrow money. Cuomo, I think, is sort of against the idea of New York City borrowing money. De Blasio wants to either borrow money or get federal relief. Guess what? August 31st is in a few days or maybe by the time you watch this, it's already passed. I doubt that he's gonna have federal relief. It seems like the federal uh, government, the Congress is on vacation right now. So no federal relief is coming to New York City. 
oh, will Cuomo let New York City borrow money? New York City already has a lot of debt. Cuomo's nervous about that. But maybe, and I'm not taking any, it would be foolish of me to take credit for this, but maybe the fact that they both agree on one thing, their hate for my article, maybe that will encourage them to prove me wrong and Cuomo will allow de Blasio to borrow the billion dollars he needs to keep these 22,000 essential workers working. So that's a short-term problem. The other thing I'm interested in, you saw all these billionaires tweeting, like New York City will last forever. You know, uh, you know, and I appreciate it. Jerry Seinfeld, he was born in Long Island, uh, has lived all over the place, but he always returns to New York City. He clearly, we're on the same side. He loves New York City. So other people would love an opportunity to invest in a vibrant, growing, exciting New York City. So this is where, you know, maybe we don't look towards leaders like de Blasio or whoever. Maybe this is an opportunity for the Jeff Bezoses of the world, the Bill Gates, the Mark Cubans, the Jerry Seinfelds, everybody, all of us to contribute in whatever way we can. Instead of, you know, Bill Gates is giving away $100 billion of his wealth. I'm not saying he should do anything with his money, far be it from me to tell him or anybody what to do with their money, but maybe some people can come in and if they love New York so much and they have the resources to help, I'll have a list of GoFundMes for restaurants and employees who are being furloughed, who people could help out. And I've been trying to do my best, but certainly these people could do a lot, lot more than me. And maybe people could help in other ways, like invest in the city. I don't know, maybe there could be some sort of investment fund or sort of structured borrowing that the city could do that these billionaires who really want to participate in New York City's comeback, as they claim to, maybe let's figure out how to let them. So a lot of these solutions are hard. New York City owns a lot of things, for instance. Maybe some assets that New York City owns, they can sell to raise money. I could list all those assets, but Every asset I list will be painful to hear about. We don't want New York City to sell some of these things, whether it's hospitals or gardens or, or I don't know what, but New York City has to raise money somehow. And uh, restaurants have to go back to work. There has to be incentives in place for tourists to come back to New York City. So maybe there's you know, if, if, if billionaires or companies like Disney, you know, Disney owns all of 42nd Street, Disney, maybe when people land in the airport or, or land in a bus in Port Authority, as soon as they step foot on New York City soil, they get a $100 coupon for restaurants or, or theater or other tourist attractions. Tourism generates tens of millions of dollars for New York City. It doesn't just generate money for you know, the richest person in New York City. It generates money to afford the teachers, the police, the fire, the EMTs. It, it generates money for the bodegas and the employees of Dunkin' Donuts and the employees and actors of Broadway and the hotel employees. So we have to be creative now about what these solutions are. I'm happy to talk to anybody more about this. My email is altucher, just my last name, at gmail.com. Send me a message and I'll compile solutions or let's all figure out how to engage de Blasio in real solutions instead of just these mindless 
press conferences. Like, why, why does he want to shut down 95% of the restaurants? People devote their lives, for, you know, building these, these great places that not just expensive restaurants, but the, the local mom and pop diners that, that we all love in every single borough. You can't have restaurants survive a winter without indoor dining. You know, de Blasio, what are you doing with that? And that leads again to, it has ramifications on the hotel business, the transit lines, the subways, the buses, the trains. It has ramifications on everybody who goes into an office. It has ramifications on the museums, the libraries, the anything in New York City. So all of these things are connected. It's not like everybody leaves, rents go down, artists move in, and it's a utopia. That is impossible. That does not happen. And that is not what it means by grit. So we have to look at these problems seriously. I get it though. If I had seen this article after 9-11 when my building was damaged and, and of course it was so horrible, the events of then, and of course after 2008 as well, I would have been freaking out if someone had written this article. So I get it. And I knew I, I was hitting publish because I knew I was afraid of what people would think of me because I didn't have solutions. Now I'm trying to come up with solutions. Now we can all try to come up with solutions. Let's get our leaders working, but let's maybe be more creative about the community coming together. I haven't really seen much of that, particularly when I saw video after video of looting and I saw people 400,000 people leave at the very beginning of the pandemic for wherever. I don't judge, but you know, they left. Let's focus on solutions and not just yelling at each other. Let's be a little have a little bit more empathy for all of the people affected by all of these many issues. Thank you for reading the article, Jerry Seinfeld. Thank you for reading my article and responding to it. You're my hero and I don't know if you're my hero right now anymore, but I appreciate your response. De Blasio, thank you also for reading it. Governor Cuomo, thank you for reading it. Mark Cuban, all these people, you read it. Let's now focus on solutions. The problems are real. Let's focus on solutions because the faster we do that, the faster forever ends. Thanks. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.